yeah, I'll probably hang up. <laughs> okay. So it'll just be you and Jamie. Okay. Okay then. Uh, Christy, I was going to have Gracie introduce you, and she has completely lost her voice. Oh. She has no sound. Oh, no. Does she, um, got a sickness, or is it just yeah. from screaming at something? No. no, it is just from no, Gracie screaming at something. Yeah. I didn't Not think really. so. Has she been fangirling at a concert, or... <laughs> at her book club yeah yeah exactly reading really loud <laughs> I'm multi track okay does it look okay on the camera does mine look okay mm-hmm. yours looks great yeah you can move that dog bed in the background if you want <laughs> but you can leave it I wondered that too alright Jay I'm gonna hang up so okay. the kids come in okay Thanks, Garth. Thanks, Garth. Good to see you, Christy. Good to see you this morning. Yeah. We're live. Christy, we are so glad to have you here today. How are you? I'm wonderful. You're so sweet. I'm excited. This is my first podcast ever. Oh, my goodness. Well, this is my second, so it's not like we're (laughs) really, really deep into experience yet. But I listen to a lot of podcasts. Oh, mostly birth and um, come follow me podcasts. Yes, <laughs> that's fabulous. Um, so this will be the first podcast for Joyrific, and I'm having you on here because you were the beginning of my entering into motherhood, entering into puberty, entering into all the things that I've done in my life, and um just have been really impactful to me. I'm like weepy. I'm like really, really excited about this. I brought my tissues. I know. Perfect. I know. know. My box is right there. So actually I probably should get up and get them. But um, I have on your introduction, which Gracie's going to give the introduction. So, and me always being aware of other people, it may not be like first time mothers. It may be anybody that's understanding their bodies and I am Grace Braithwaite, the oldest of the seven Braithwaite children, and I am here to introduce our guest on the Joyrific podcast. Christy Hugh has been giving my mom advice since 1992, including monumentous events like shopping for her first bra. Jamie and Christy will discuss the beginnings of the journey while empowering women to know, trust, and understand their bodies. Through Labor of Love Doula Services, Christy provides one-on-one physical, emotional, and educational support to women during their pregnancy, childbirth, and postpartum. Her goal is to educate, encourage, and empower women with love and compassion throughout their birth journey. Welcome, Christy. Thank you. Thank you so much. I love what you added in because it's true. You, we, we have had really impactful moments. Like I think two ways, right? So Aww. not just you not just me with you, but honestly, like you were this little angel helper that came along with, you know, when I had young children and you're just so energetic and so fun and creative. And that really helped, I think, pave the path even for my girls and the type of um, support they can be for other people. Um, Oh my goodness. I gotta grab my tissue box. 
<laughs> you better grab the tissue box. I know. I had a tear streaming down my cheek as I was saying that. We know. We're going to be leaking a lot. So so it definitely was two-way. And yeah, yeah, interesting that we're both sitting here now. And there's no little kids. I mean, they're I kind know. of our little kids. But, you know, yeah, just at a totally different place than where we were in literally like 1992 um, when I met you. And then 94, probably about when Connor was like one and you were coming to my house and helping and playing with him. So it's, yeah, it, it's amazing. Well, and I have Crystal that comes and she is, you know, that because we are 12 years apart, right? Yeah. And her, yeah, yeah, I'll be 40 in April. Okay. Yeah. And then she's, t- she's 10 years younger as well. So it, I'm, it's really, and whenever I interact with Crystal, I think of all the times and how, how impactful, oh man, <laughs> how impactful you've been on my life. <sighs> yeah. Okay. So you need a lot of support as a young woman and as a young mom. And I think each of those stages you just really need community and support and it's all kinds of support. It's not just somebody there that's like going to help you take out the trash. It's like this sisterhood and it's like this generational sisterhood, whether it's when you're buying your first bra or when you're <laughs> help, you know, when you're raising your kids and you're out of your mind and your milk's leaking and your <laughs> brain's fried because you've been pregnant and nursing for so long. Right. So um, and then on to like, honestly, Jamie, like I'm looking and you are too, like we're looking at the end of life spectrum, right? Like, so it's that whole time and that support that we need. And I just think even at this age, and when I came into being coming a doula, what I really realized is women need other women and we need, I mean, we certainly need our partner and we need, um, you know, that love connection, but there's a different type of connection between in sisterhood, right? In all those stages. Yeah. And now you're a grandma. Now I'm a grandma. Yeah. So and I have an aging mother who's got dementia, you know? Yeah. 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 Oh my goodness. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Yeah. I know. Um but it's a beautiful circle. And it's so like that's what I think I figured out when I will tell you when I knew I was going to do this work. Um And I think always I've known, like, I wrote down that I had a spark of excitement in my heart. Like, my heart leapt with excitement when I knew this was what I was going to do. This was my calling. But that wasn't just a moment, right? Like, I feel like there's so many experiences leading up to that, including, you know, the way I was molded when I was younger, the way I helped others, you know, along the path and the way others helped me basically oh, right yeah that's beautiful that's how i feel about joy rific and yeah. and doing this and helping other people to know that they're okay it's really hard and it's going to be a phase and there'll be other times and seasons for all of the things that you're going through and learning and growing through the phase that you're in at the moment right. and it's okay to cry and it's okay to be exhausted and it's not going to last forever yeah. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> it applies to so many things. Oh, I know. Being I know. a teenager, being a young mom, being a mom of teenagers, you know what I mean? Like that yeah. whole 
that whole road. So, and it's like, we just need so much grace along the way. And we really do need someone to tell us. And I think that's what I did for you. And I think that's what you're doing for Crystal. And that's what I'm doing for young mothers is, is, and I, and I have done with my daughters and their friends is like, I love you unconditionally. I just have so much love for you and compassion. Like, I just want you to feel that like somebody is in your corner rooting for you. Like that is a nonstop, non-negotiable. It's never going to change. And that to me came from my mom who at a pretty young age, let me know I was the youngest of three. And she let me know that no matter what I did, I could never break her love for me. There was not one thing I could choose, do, sin, misstep. Like there was nothing I could do that would ever break, break her love for me. And that was like, that was huge because I knew my friends didn't have that relationship with their mom. And so she was like, I've been through it. I've done this. I've been there. I can guarantee you I've done it 10 times worse. In some cases, maybe a hundred times worse. So (laughs) there's nothing you can say to me that's going to freak me out or change my love for you. Like I'm just here for you. And that's my job as your mother. Like I'm the one sitting in the seat to help, help you like in this path and on this journey. So whatever you need help with, I'm here. There's no better person. I mean, you think about it, the people in our lives, our mom and our dad, like that love us the very most, right? So if you don't have that feeling of trust um, with them, who are you going to turn to when you need it? Or you're just going to feel alone, you know? And that's really hard to be on any of these, these different steps in our life alone. So, oh my goodness. Okay. Just talk more. Tell me more about how you did that, how you come like what you've seen what you've done (laughs) um okay let's see well that definitely is the spark for me and I think too as the youngest I kind of came came a little bit more eyes open to what was ahead of me and what my parents were experiencing with my older siblings and I wanted to make sure I was people pleasing keeping the peace those were definitely my roles so I think that's the place I come from. And we, we all come from a different place. Like our strengths are different. We'd be super boring if they were the same. So, um, I think honestly, we just evolve and we keep grounded spiritually. And that's, that's where I came from. I, I tried to, you know, I never felt adequate and I still don't feel adequate enough, but I had those people, including my mom, including like our relationship, even with your mom and dad, Jamie, like when Carl and I got married, I remember looking at them and even just Carl's like sales pitch about your parents. That's a bad way to say it because it was a relationship, not like they were selling us something, but he was just like, oh, I can't wait for you to meet them because his parents were not around. They were serving a mission at the time that we met. And so the next closest family member I had to meet of his was his Aunt Joy and Uncle Jim and their family. And so I remember him just saying like, oh, you don't understand. Like these guys, this is the house that's fun to hang out at when you're a teenager. And they just hang out on a Saturday night, laying in the backyard on a hammock or mattress or (laughs) whatever happened to be in the backyard at the time. And and that would have had to been winter in Las Vegas, but um, because you wouldn't hang out outside in any of those places anyway. But I just, I mean, and when I walked into your home, it was like, oh, we love all kinds of music and we love all different types of people. And we just don't have these boundaries. And your parents are like the epitome of this, um, 
you know, the generation of love, right? Like they were just free lovers and accepting everyone. That's kind of honestly where mine and your connection started. And that's a good place for us to start on here is because, you know, I married into the family. I already had a connection with your older brother through the youth program that he had attended. And I was a counselor at at BYU, especially for youth. So it was so funny. I jump off the plane in Las Vegas to meet Carl's family. And I go, Jimmy, <laughs> your older brother had been at EFY the summer before, and he might have been at more than one session. I can't remember. Or he was just super impactful at the session I met him at. I know he he said a prayer and he was in, in a session that I was at that stood out to me. And then he was in the talent show as a dancer. So that's kind of a sidetrack. But it's so funny that, I mean, the first person I didn't, I mean, I didn't notice my husband or future husband first. I noticed <laughs> his cousin, his cousin, Jimmy. So I was just like already felt bonded and connected to your family and so loved and accepted because I was from Indiana and I was, you know, it was like my junior year of college. So I was still just kind of coming into my own skin and who I was. And I mean, I had a very solid relationship with Carl and we'd only been, you know, together for about six months, maybe. Yeah, probably four. I don't know, four to six months, a very short time. But I knew really quickly that he was the one and he he knew, too, by the time we got married. <laughs> Right. Uh, anyway, so yeah, I love that that connection was there immediately. And I know, I mean, let's talking about generations. I mean, it's in a cellularly, Jamie, like we are connected to our, our mother and our grandmother and our great grandmother because of what happens in the womb. Right. And because of our honestly, because of our fertility, I mean, your eggs are something that genetically are kind are passed down. And that's why there are so many links to you know, cancers and things and, but also on the other side to, to fertility. Right. And so, um, that's just something that I've learned more about becoming a doula, but it's just like, I, you're, it's no mistake. Your mom and your family was like that. It's no mistake. Right. Like, because even at a cellular level, not just because, oh, we were family and that's how we grew up. And that was our nurturing that we received. But honestly, like we're connected and you're connected to crystal and each of us are connected even on that cell cellular level. And I, I I love that. I love that it's even deeper than just the family community, right? Yeah, I love that. And and part of Joy Riffic talks a lot about how how you behave is is how you are taught or maybe not taught. And right. um and my dad comes from a very different family dynamic than what my mom grew up with. And it and he has chosen to learn and develop these parental skills that he did not have growing up. And and it's amazing how how he is who he is. And his family does have an amazing connection and they do love and and they love. I mean that truly is the best word that there's a lot of family love and how you can help develop that and it it's something that is teachable and learnable and and which I think is going back into your doula. Like, tell tell us more about how you take these young mothers and help them to be empowered by who they are and what they're doing. Okay. Um, okay. So I have been able to help six moms, and I have three more coming up this summer. Well, and, and plus the like, I've had seven babies, so okay. you can add that <laughs> <Right>. in. <laughs> I know. Okay. Yeah. As a trained doula, that's what my, right, specifically. But yeah, with my own daughter, yeah, 
I've had experience before that, but since I became a doula, <clears throat> I think what it, when I have to encapsulate, like what I do, I definitely, I mean, you kind of had it in your intro for me, but um, I mean, what I'm doing is I'm, I'm like one-on-one -on -one, and that sounds like kind of textbook. I mean, I'm taking them by the hand. I'm holding them by the elbow, Jamie. I'm touching their shoulders. I'm touching their feet. I'm touching their back and their hips and their, I mean, and, and with many of them, I mean, it's, it is a physical connection, but it's to empower them that they can trust their body. We've already gone through education. So part of my process is I do two or three prenatal visits and I highly encourage and send them tons of podcasts to listen to and education courses, especially because most women want as natural <clears throat> of a childbirth as they can have. And I just honor and respect whatever type of birth they need to have for them. And I remind them, unfortunately, we some things are out of our control. Birth is very much a lot of times out of our control, but to the best of my ability and to best of their capability, I will help them spiritually, emotionally, educationally, informationally to come to that place so that they can have the most, I mean, it is having a child is the most transformative event in our life of a woman. I mean, there is nothing that changes our rocks, our world more than that, right? Like it is the most transformative. And for too long, I let somebody else like determine how that was going to look and how it was going to go because I didn't know any different, period. When I knew different, when I knew my epidural didn't take, I knew I had to figure out something else for my last birth. And I did. And I took matters into my own hands. I didn't turn it over to anyone else. And I, I felt very empowered in that. And like I hypnobirthed my fourth baby here. I labored in the tub in the hospital before that was really even a thing. So I was honestly in a tub in a supply closet in the old Cedar City Hospital. I didn't need anyone around me. I wanted it to be me and quiet and dark and alone. And certainly my husband and my doctor and the nurses were checking in and things. But honestly, for the most part, it was me with my thoughts and my own empowerment in that room. And i that's where I figured out that, I mean, it... Um, it takes kind of bringing together all of those things, the spiritual, the physical, and the emotional, mental. It's not just a medical event that's happening. And that that empowerment sets you up then to be empowered as a mom, right? And to be like, hmm, I'm in charge of my baby's health care. Nobody else is coming to my house to wipe this child's runny nose or to take their temperature, right? It's me. It's all on me. So I think that's where it was just like so... I, I don't know, kind of magical for me from that point when I was like, I, when I had Brielle, I was probably like 35, right? Or something, 30, that sounds about right. 30 something, between 30 and 35. But um, but it took me on that journey to kind of figure out that and to get to that point. And no one that I had really known had done, had chosen natural birth without medication, especially in the hospital. And I didn't come from a line of women that did home birth. So that was really foreign. Um, but when McKenna came to that point, my oldest daughter came to that point during COVID that that was something she wanted to do. We had this choreography of conversation, like, cause I didn't want to step on her toes, but I don't come from that. And I understand the desire of a woman to want a natural birth, but, but it took her explaining a lot of things to me and educating me how she wanted to do this and why she wanted to do this and why there, because she wasn't a high risk pregnancy that a midwife would even talk to her. Because midwives aren't going to be able to help you. It's outside their scope of care if you are a high-risk pregnancy. 
sorry, you won't be able to do a home birth, right? You'll, you'll be moving into a hospital birth. So that's something I think just in my understanding is like, oh, that makes sense. I would, yeah, I guess midwives are really smart and they don't, you know, they wouldn't want, they wouldn't want to risk that. So this is a really long answer and I'm kind of snaking through, but this is what, you know, what brought me to this point is helping McKenna that day. And and 2 a.m. we get the phone call. And at this point, I have not had anything in my mind about doula training. I don't, I mean, I knew what one was, but really only basically, but so basically on my way down to McKenna's, I'm just praying because I, I think we need some spiritual help and assistance through this process. It's different than anything I've ever experienced. And that's something that goes with me to every birth is I am praying. I'm praying on the way usually because it's like, okay, come now, you know? So that's when you start praying and you just, that's another little trip trick and tip is you pray whenever you don't have to be in a certain place or a certain position. Like now my prayer is probably most vital when I am like driving or something um, for some reason or early in the morning or in the shower. Um, So, so, okay. So I'm praying on the way down. And honestly, I was just like, my prayer was like, I don't want to be, I don't want to do anything that could um, like mess her up in this because like, she's really prepared for this. And so I don't want to interrupt it. I don't want to interrupt her, her vibe and her power. Right. I just want to be there to assist and to be nurturing. And, and honestly, the thought came to my head, I just want to be to her what my mom always is to me, which is like the perfect home, like that hug from my mom. Like that's always the perfect home. It's the perfect rush of oxytocin. It's that's why it feels so warm and so good. I know that now it's a hormone release that I am so familiar with from in utero, right? Like I am familiar with my mom's love hormone because that's what wrapped me up. And so at that point in time, I'm driving through New Harmony, which is where my parents have lived the past 20 some years. And now my mom doesn't live there anymore. She's lives with my sister in Indiana. So I was kind of sad because when Lewis was born, I picked up my mom at two in the morning on the way down to, you know, and she was always fine to get a call at two in the morning. So I was just kind of sad. I was like, oh, it's kind of sad because that was pretty special for my mom and I, something that we could do. Um, And she wasn't super involved or hands-on when we went down to the hospital, but we were both there for McKenna, you know? And so I was kind of sad and thinking about that as I'm driving to St. George and that thought distinctly came to me, like your mom is with you, like she's in you. And you are exactly to your daughter, what your mom is to you. And you can't mess it up and you're not going to, I mean, that's honestly what I was worried about. I was worried I was going to maybe mess it up or say something wrong or encourage the wrong way or use the wrong words. Cause I know it's like, you're really sensitive when you're in labor and you just need to be the right amount of everything. So that was really what I was praying for. And what I pray for when I go to all of my um, clients births is that I'm the right amount of what they need, you know, whether it's strength or spiritual or or whatever type of support that I'm the right amount. So I knew very distinctly in my head, like she's, she's, she's with you just because she's not in the car with you. doesn't mean she's not with you. She's with you. And you're taking that with you. I'm like, okay, good. That, that gave me so much comfort because again, then I could feel those hormones, you know, from my mom, my mom's hug. Like I could feel it going with me. I'm like, okay, that's, that's what I want to give McKenna. Now I know I'll be that. So um, some other really great things happen and I have it written down in detail and I've given that to McKenna as part of her baby's birth story because my my dad who had passed away, I, I felt like this in, instantly in my mind also on the way down to this birth was, I love you, pumpkin. Tell McKenna, I love you, pumpkin. And he'd always called my sister and I pumpkin and then he called my girls pumpkin. 
And so I'm texting it to McKenna in between these prayers and thoughts, you know, conversing with my dad. And I said, Grandpa Joe in voice text, because I'm driving. So I'm just voice texting. Grandpa Joe says to tell you, I love you, pumpkin. And it, it went across perfectly. For one thing, my voice texts always have weird things, but <laughs> it capitalized the word pumpkin and it didn't spell it out P-U-M-P-K-I-N. It did P-U-N-K-I-N. And I'm like, okay, we'll just say, you know, like grandpa's here, he loves you and he's with that baby. And like, we're, you know, like I just knew there was this multi-generational connection around this special, you know, time. And so um, once I got down there, I just was just being helped how I could. And at one point I laid my head down on McKenna's hips because she was kind of tired and she kind of had a pause in her labor. And she's like, I'm just going to sleep because I feel like once I get up and get moving, things are going to happen kind of fast. And Skylar was really tired. They'd already been up basically all night. And so he laid down in the chair because I'm there now and I can get her whatever she needs, her drink or a little bite of food or something. And um, if anything happens, I'll wake him up. And we were all in the same room and I'm just laying my head on her hips because <clears throat> she just, <clears throat> excuse me, during each contraction needed to feel touch. And that's really common is, and I think the reason why no one's ever taught me this, but this is my own feeling is that that touch helps transfer that energy, right? I mean, that contraction is a big, it's the biggest muscle in your body. It's working and it's working hard and it's not like as much pain, but there is definitely some pain associated with it. But if someone's touching you, it kind of helps transfer that pain energy to them too. And they're carrying it with you. You're not doing alone. You know, you're not alone. There's somebody right there. So she really just wanted and needed somebody to be touching her, holding her hand during each contraction. So as she's sleeping and those contractions are kind of going away, I just laid my head on her hips. And at one point I lifted my head up and she goes, oh, no, no, keep doing whatever you're doing. And I was like, I just laid my head down on her hips. I mean, on her backside was towards me and I'm just laying my head and she's like, that pressure on my hips feels so good. And so now I know as a doula, like counter pressure on women's hips on their pelvic bone is really helpful. So helpful. It's one of the main things you can do for a woman in natural birth is to help with counter pressure, either on her hips or just above them or on her sacrum, on her backbone um, or her tailbone. Sorry. I mean, it's because all those bones are shifting and moving right for the baby to do their little dance to come through. And so it was just helpful. I had no idea that just is what I was doing. Later on, probably once she woke up and she was still in the bed because she knew if she got up, things were going to change. So she was just trying to find positions in the bed that were comfortable and Sky was still kind of resting. And I think he was setting up the birth pool and her feet kind of started getting antsy in the bed and they were pushing the covers at one point. So I fisted up my hands and just pushed them under her feet. And she's like, oh, oh, yeah, that feels good. And she told me, you know, when the contraction was over, she goes, I looked down. I'm like, how did you, how did you know how to do that? And I was like, well, your feet were just flailing and they needed support. I could tell and they needed, you know, pressure and our feet are a big counter pressure point as well. Right. I didn't, I wasn't thinking of that. I just saw a need and tried to fill in. And so there were just, those were just a couple of times that I feel like um, there were, you know, it was just building on what was going to happen. And so ultimately though, you know, the, the midwife got there, she had her baby. I got there at two, I got there at about three in the morning her midwife came and the baby was born by like 7.30 in the morning, I think, around there. So it wasn't a long amount of time, but <clears throat> enough to see like this beautiful process and her work and her energy and her determination like come into its power. Like there really is no other time in your life that this transformation of power from 
like what you want and what you end up with, right? Like she manifested it and she was able to achieve that. And later in that day, I was holding Kayla in my arms in the Rocky Turner room, like my daughter's there and we're just, you know, it's just this bask of birth, right? This golden light. It was just beautiful. And I, I, the distinct thought just came to me, this is your work. And I was like, it is. And I hadn't said anything yet. I was like, you can help women do this. Like this isn't you, this doesn't have to be the last time you can help your daughters, but there's obviously training. There's something more to this that you can do to learn to help women. And, but, but this is, this is your work. I'm like, I was like so excited. I told McKenna right then. And she said, well, the lady I took my Bradley birth class from teaches doula training too, but she only does it like twice a year. I I've seen it come up on her Instagram. I'll have to, let me see when it is. And the more that thought just kept going and McKenna knew exactly who I was going to train with. And she pulled it up. She's like, her training's next month. That's perfect. How much does it cost? Oh, perfect. She goes, well, though, you need to talk to dad. I'm like, oh no, like, I know, like, I don't want to lose a spot in this lady's class. If she has a class open next month and she's training, like I have to be in it. Like that was the pull, like so strong. Like I knew I needed to be in it. And I mean, I had a full-time job. I was working at the time. I was very happy in, and I, but I figured this is something I can do and still have my job, you know, I would think, and I have some flexibility in my job. So, but that really didn't matter. It was honestly just this, this freight train thought that came through. That's like, this is what you're doing. And I was so excited. I couldn't wait to just like grab on and go. So the timeline was the baby was born in January and I trained in February. I gave my two weeks notice in March and the hospitals opened up at the end of March so that I could go do my clinical hours, which was I needed to shadow births with my trainer or with another advanced doula, someone who had several years of experience. She called me in March and said, hey, I have two births in Cedar. Can you be my shadow? That would, And I said, yeah. She said, what's your work schedule? I said, tomorrow is my last day. Oh my she goes, well, the hospitals just opened up, she said, this week. They had literally opened up like the third week of March. Okay. So I was able to, over the next two weeks, do my shadow hours and get to see and experience exactly what she does hands-on, how she nurtures mothers and what she does and how her demeanor is to keep things calm and to keep, to be an advocate, but to do it in just this really calm and caring way um, with the mom, with the dad, with the grandparents, with the nurses, with the doctor, like it was just so empowering to watch somebody do that. And she's not taking charge of anything. She's the woman is in charge. She's following her, but you're just this calm presence that can reassure through every fear and unknown of childbirth, right? Because no matter how many times you've done it, there are still going to be those. And so um, I had my first client in April. So that was a pretty specific timeline. And the, the girl that hired me said she had already talked to two other doulas, but she didn't feel good about either of them. And her mom said, well, this friend of mine that I know, I mean, we're, we're mostly online friends, but we've known each other for a long time. And I knew her daughter. Um, she's like, she's training. You need to talk to her. And all we did was speak over the phone. And then she and her husband came to my house and, and we visited and she's like, I for sure want you like, yeah, this is what I want. And I tell all my clients, like, that's what you need to feel because I'm not doing this as a job. I'm doing this just to help. So if I'm not the one that feels right for you, you should find that person. You're not going to hurt my feelings because if I'm not the right person for you, then what it doesn't make sense to have me there, right? It needs to be somebody you're comfortable with. And it's a very vulnerable and real 
time <laughs> having a child like this is it's very vulnerable and so we discuss a lot of things like past trauma emotional stuff because that all gets brought up and needs to be worked through but it can be and if you have somebody there that you know is like oh you can do this and and that's the first thing i do with each of my clients is i put my hand on their arm i'm always i have to physically touch them and see because it's kind of a two-way street right i need to feel it back from them and some it's more than others but just put my hand on their arm and say, you can absolutely trust your body and whatever is supposed to happen will happen. And I will be there for you with whatever type of birth you need. Like I am not judging you on anything because my job is to support whatever you need. And if things change, I'm there to support you through the change and the unknowns of the change. But um, that's my job. And we are not told as women enough to trust our body, to trust our instinct, because that's the main thing I want women to understand is like as a mom, you get this awesome gift and power called your instinct and your gut instinct. And you need to follow that. Again, it's not me raising your kid, your child once they're born. It's not the pediatrician. It's you and your instinct and going off of that is the most powerful tool you have by far. You can gain all this information and you can listen to everyone and you can get all these great pro tips, but ultimately what is your gut telling you? And it needs to be that way. And in birth and it needs to be that way as you raise your child. So that is how I got to do this job. And and like, yeah, it's not a job. It's a calling. It's a passion. It's um, something I know that I've been like trained up for. Yeah. That's beautiful, Christy. Oh man, I am really weepy. All the things you are saying are so truthful and can get applied to s- to so many aspects of your life, right? Like I, I've had seven babies, which is a lot. And um, each one of them has been different. And, and you, the first baby to the seventh baby, I've, I learned my body so much differently. And, and as I'm doing joyrific, and I, I mean, I've had seven toddlers, I've had the experience that I've been able to have from the first to the last, you you just become empowered by that instinct and not only that instinct, but somebody supporting you and helping you through it. Like that is an important part with no judgment and, and how there's it, it's hard. It, it is hard. And the past trauma, let's talk a little bit about how you, because everybody has baggage and everybody has past trauma and, and how do you, how do you help with that? What what what's some coping skills or some advice for people who are in that birthing process or even in the teenage process right. or even in the grandkid process? Like tell talk about a little bit about past trauma, how you can work through that, talk through that. Okay. Well, a big part of being able to achieve um, our goals at any time, whether you're going in to take a test or you're going in to have a baby is preparation, right? And so if I walk into a test, I heard this in a podcast, so I'm going to totally use it. Um, um, If I walk into a test unprepared, I'm panicked, my hands are sweaty, I'm like, I'm fidgety, I, I'm a little sick to my stomach, my I'm burning, like I can't, you you can't focus if I'm not prepared. I mean, you, we know, and it comes out in every way, spiritually, physically, we can't sleep, right? We're nauseous. Um, but if we're prepared and we walk into that test, oh my word, you can feel like the, you can feel the confidence and you can feel the calm and you can feel that parasympathetic nervous system because you're able to breathe. You aren't hyperventilating. You aren't in this 
this um, fight or flight, right? It's not those hormones working. It's the confident and the, you know, it, it is, it's your, you don't have the adrenaline and the cortisol. Those are the stress hormones. You have, you know, calm things happening. So um, that's the very first thing. So regardless of if you've had past trauma or not, understanding that that information and being prepared is going to change the setting in that room, whether you're taking a test, going in for a cancer diagnosis or, or, you know, having a child. So it really does span all of it. And that education and information will bring you so much peace and confidence. And that's really where McKenna is and what, where she was and how she taught me was through her education. I mean, she didn't take this lightly. She signed up for this eight week course two hours each class, very in-depth. I mean, Dr. Bradley's method is the tried and true natural childbirth method. And it's the foundation for every other method that I'm, that I'm aware of. I mean, he lays it out. He did extensive study and, and now that's what's being taught. And, but it takes some going outside of la la la, just scrolling on Instagram to, to gain that information. And so I think you have to take it seriously. And the next part is what you said, I think, and that's somebody with you non-judgmental holding us holding that space for you, right? So I let him I let moms know right up front, um, I'm not judging you, whatever you have been through. And it's so the mom that I have felt the closest emotional connection to had been through the most and had had a lot of trauma and had had a miscarriage recently, and she had had an abortion, and she had some really strong feelings about not wanting to be a mother early in her life. And now she's this woman who, who is thinking in a different direction and has come to this place in her journey. And I mean, honestly, every time we touch, we both just weeped because she, I mean, you just need somebody there to hold that space with you and to put your hand on their arm or on their back or on their shoulder or touch their hair and to say like, you're okay. It's okay. I understand you've been through something hard. And I, I mean, I can't imagine what you've been through because I couldn't, I hadn't been through e either of those things, but I knew that meant like she needed my strength even more. And, and the love connection with her husband was extremely important. And I loved, it was beautiful to witness because he was so attentive to her. But in addition, and a lot of us do, we need more. I need some more. Some of us need four sisters and a mom and a doula and the husband. And I've been at births like that. Some need several midwives and their husband and their sister and their doula, right? Um, and our needs are different and they're different at different times. And so I think um, whatever that trauma is, like understanding, like you can let it go. You can set it down and you can come over here and we're leaving it in the past. And just, be, I mean, we don't, we're not existing there, but where we are existing is a place that we like honor whatever you've been through. And I think that's what I learned because I seriously just had the purest love for this woman and who'd made decisions and who'd been through things I'd never been through, but it is possible. I think that's compassion. I really do. I think it's that because I'm not a counselor and I couldn't do any deep, right? <laughs> deep counseling with this person to let it go. But ultimately her knowing that she has these people in her corner that are her strength, you know what I mean? And that believe in her and, and are supporting her, um, you know, along with being prepared and, Part of that being prepared was like I go into a lot of relaxation things, um, but it's kind of what you identify with because I can't push my hypnobirth technique on somebody if they don't identify with that. For them, it might just be breathing. And one client said 
um, she she was talking to her aunt and uncle about natural birth, and her uncle is the one that told her, just go to your happy place. That's what you have to do in birth. Like you're in here. And he's right. Birth happens between the ears more than between the legs. <laughs> it happens, it's a mindset and coming to a positive mindset and the place that you can be you can let go and you can surrender, which is really hard. I mean, we want to. We want to go here like, no, don't hurt me. Right. That's the protection, whether it's trauma or birth or whatever. Like you want to be in here. But what it takes is surrendering and allowing others to come in close to you and to help spread that energy and to feel their support. Um, and and we don't get very far in birth when we tense up, when you tense up against a contraction. You know that, Jamie. And oh, you yeah. have to relax. You have to you have to surrender and you have to breathe. And I mean, that's, those are like my words I give my grandkids, even if they're having a tantrum or a moment, it's like, okay, I know. And sometimes, sorry, even like, you know, touching them, not grabbing them, but touching them, right. That helps release some of it. And then talking to them. And if you're touching them, I was talking to this girl who's had, um, who's had EMT training. She said, that's one of the first things we do when we come on scene. If you notice someone in distress, if you hold their hand, we were taught that helps them match your breath. It helps them match your heartbeat. And a lot of times you come on a scene as an EMT and everything's elevated, right? And, or maybe it's, maybe they're going downhill and we need to bring their heart rate up. And she said, that's what we're taught is we hold their hand. I'm like, aha, that's it. There's, there's an important thing. Anyway. That's awesome. That's, I, that's what I do. I, I, I never have heard that. And through all my childbirths, I, Garth, I needed Garth's touch. And I would say it and he would come and touch me and hold me or wherever it was. And I, I mean, that is powerful. Isn't it interesting that like we're allowed to ask for that in childbirth, but we hardly ever ask for it any other time. Oh, yeah, <laughs> that is true. <laughs> I mean, we're filling it and yucky and we just need a hug and we just need a hand to hold and we don't want any strings attached. And we don't ask for it. I mean, childbirth, we definitely can and do. And I feel like we're culturally brought to the point that we can, you know, but in life, I don't, we aren't as much. We're expected to kind of have that tough. Yeah. I, and I will, that, that Garth is very touchable. I don't know if that's the right word, but he, I mean, he gathers our kids and he, I mean, they hang on him so much and I'm like, get off of me. Right. Like, I mean, I love you, but I kind of have a bigger bubble and especially when I was pregnant, I like, I have a big bubble when I'm pregnant Like, is, you know, I just, I have a lot of kids and they all, and Garth hasn't been able to be that person that they can cuddle and hold on to. And, and one of my kids, I mean, he's tough and Garth lets him hang all over him and he needs that. He needs that touch. And Garth will say to me, it's fine. It's fine. Let him do it. Like if, if he needs to rub my bald head, then, and that soothes him to let him do it. And I yeah. think you are so patient and wonderful. And I'm so glad I married to you. <laughs> totally. You can see. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and it's okay. And we need someone to tell us it's okay to have a bigger bubble, right? Like their overstimulation is a thing. It is. And having overstimulation is as bad as none, right? Is not getting enough. So, so either end of that spectrum. And so I'm always very, and I, I've witnessed, and so I've now I am what I've witnessed, but I witnessed other women being so um, respectful to women. Like, would you be okay with some gentle touch? Do you want, you know what I mean? Like, um, 
Um, is, are you feeling like some touch? Because women in labor, it's the same thing. And it's really a roller coaster because sometimes you're hot and you need a fan and don't touch me. And sometimes you're freezing cold and you need warm blankets and someone to give you a foot rub or hold your hands. Yeah. You know? Within so, the same 20 minutes. In yeah, for sure. That's transition of labor. It's <laughs> generally that. But but you're right. Yeah. It's it's a roller coaster all the way through. And so I'm always, I always ask, you know. Does that sound good? Does that, do you want me to give you some pressure, some counter pressure? Does that sound good? And and I've watched and witnessed midwives ask um, at home birth and and really be emotionally connected to to their patient, um, which is such a good. I mean, yeah, it's it's just good experience for me to see that because I think that we all deserve that, no matter what we're going through, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, let's talk a little bit about toddlers and teenagers. Because you've had a lot of experience with that. So take the the doula-ness that you have and okay. see if you can help. Because there's mothers, I mean, the birthing happens, and then you have this human that you are with. Expound oh. on that. Okay, McKenna would be really good to answer this right now, because she's just in the throes of it, right? With three under the age of six, and feeling like you've lost your identity and you don't even know who you are anymore, but but you're nursing a baby and you have a daughter in dance and a son in school. And yeah, it's, it is, you kind of lose your identity and lose who you are. And I, I don't have any specific, I specific words of wisdom. I mean, I can tell you though, it just translates. Like I talked to my daughter a lot and I needed that a lot. I remember Carl would come home and like, how long were you on the phone? I mean, this was when long distance calls cost money. And I would get on the phone with my mom or my sister during those long days. You need, I needed that. That was part of solidifying my identity outside of being the lady with the milk, you know, or the mac and cheese or whatever, you know. And so I think that grounding is really important. So whatever you can do um, to stay grounded. And I know movement was really important for me and being outside was really important for me. So I usually combined those by like going on walks or, you know, something. Um, but, but staying grounded and it was community. We had a group that met at the church and we would scrapbook and our kids would play in the nursery. And so once a week we had a place that we could go to feel normal and to talk to an adult. And I wasn't a long distance call and it was community and we helped each other and we solved each other's problems. And more than anything, I think we just, you know, chatted and let our kids play. And And I always gravitated towards that, no matter what age my kids were, whether it was setting up that plastic um, pool in my friend's front yard and us moms all sitting in the garage with our feet in the sun, our legs in the sun, because we wanted to get a little tan on our legs, but we didn't want to be. And we could just kind of have our own little space. But I can honestly look back through my life and see these little communities of moms that I gravitated toward and, and choosing and making time. And I think that's something that's a little more lost today, right? Cause we're, everything's on our computer and our connections are a lot of the times on our computer and our works on our computer. And so um, I think staying grounded and, you know, finding those outs, whatever they are, but for a young mom specifically, I think it's really important to, to figure out your, your grounding. And I think movement and being outside and connecting with others are probably, yeah. And by movement, it could be yoga, it could be walking, it could be something that gets your brain out of the everyday soup and into like your own, you know, pattern of thinking. And I think, you know, having your church community and your friend community, you know, and your family, 
Right. I think that all of those help. So that's that's kind of a general answer, but it that's what that's how I did it. And I, I know even my daughter does um what's that cool app that you guys use where you send videos to each Marco other? Polo. Marco Polo's with with her girlfriends from up north because she had a really tight friend group up there that are all in the similar situation. So that's what they do is they Marco Polo each other and she can pull that up when she has a few minutes during the day and like okay, I'm human, I'm normal, you know, so it it maybe looks a little different now than it did when I was raising kids, but there's ways to do it. And it's really important or else I think you start getting really resentful of your kids and of your spouse and your situation. situation. (laughs) Yeah, we I do red chairs. So I have these red chairs that are out in my front yard, and we are in a cul-de-sac and I sit out in a red chair and in the sun and just feel the sun. And I'll have an empty red chair next to me. And I just start texting people because so much of us are, you're just not driving by anymore to see people out. And it, right. You it, hardly ever see people out. Yeah. And so we, I, I have to be proactive in, in knowing, knowing that I need that connection. I need to be outside. I need to chat and I process by talking and I don't need to hear them. I, I don't need them to solve my problem. I, I'm not there to solve their problem. I just need to talk about it. And and sometimes I just need to sit and and that's okay. And like it depends on who you who you bring into your red chairs. And and sometimes I'm the one that needs to be supported. Sometimes they're the one that needs to be supported. And and different times in your life, you're 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 everybody's at a different time. And and sometimes it's internal. Like you when you're pregnant, it's obvious and like, okay, she needs to sit and rest or she needs to do something. If you have a broken leg, it's obvious. But a lot of the these things are in our head or in our heart and and you don't know those that are injured and hurting and needing support and love. For sure. I love that idea with the red chairs and texting people that come over and I, just gathering up some sun. Yeah. I, well, and I'll send a picture of an empty red chair. Like, I don't even have to say anything now. They just know that, like, red chairs is this thing. And, and I've actually talked with my teenagers because I've done it for, I mean, we've been in this in this cul-de-sac for nine years now. So, and I've had these red chairs. Well, they get sun rot and I get buy new ones. But these red chairs have just been this thing. And so it's interesting. So Gracie's 18. So I started this when she was nine. And she has said, and I should get her perspective on it. Maybe I will. And um, but she has said, you know, we observed you guys in the red chairs because they were just playing in the cul-de-sac and they were riding their bikes or playing with chalk or doing whatever they were doing. But they could see, like I, I was getting my bucket filled by talking in the red chairs, and they were playing with their friends because a mom would come over or a neighbor or whoever it was with more kids and. And so, and they would sit and gather around us and, and not necessarily be a part of it, but be a part of it and seeing the community that was being built and, and those, and, and she has said, you know, we, we loved it when you read chair because it, it made a difference in our lives. And I I don't know, it's a beautiful thing building that community. And, and it's not, it doesn't just come you, it's a, you have to build it and just like proactive. Yeah. proactive. yeah. yeah. Which, which can be hard. Oh, and your taco Tuesday. Oh, that's a 
proactive choice to have community and to be an outlet. And you're right. You're a nicer, better mom when you have an outlet. Yes. So Gracie's saying that it made a difference or it affected her. I mean, it was that spark, that excitement in her. Oh, it's red chair time. Okay. We mom's on a reset. Like she, I'm sure she didn't think those things consciously, but she knew things, you know, this was going to be fun. This was going to be good. This was a good thing. I mean, for a kid at nine to see that, that moms need that, like, yeah. Yeah. It will. And what's really fun now, because now they're into teenagers, I can red chair with them. And and it's really fun to see. And sometimes, I, I mean, sometimes we have really deep conversations in the red chairs. Sometimes, they, we just sit next to each other and it's nothing. And not that it's nothing. I, there's nothing vocally said, but we're just there. And that bond and that connection is, it's, it is powerful. Yeah. It is powerful. Sweet. I love that. Oh, well, I, I probably learned it from you. Uh, you with your red chairs, but maybe there were folding chairs in the garage and the pool. And I was there as a teenager and you were there with your moms and uh, that generational, uh, it is generational. It, it, and you can learn, if you don't have it in your family, you can learn it from others. And that's something that my mom talked about because she came from alcoholism in her family when she was growing up. And and she they did have a bond, but there were times where, they were drinking and it, it, there, there was not support that she needed. And so when she was first married, uh, that somebody, I don't remember, I'll have to get the story from her, but somebody said, you know, if you don't have that example, look to someone that does that and, and find those traits that you want to be like and strive to be like, and do that and figure out what it is and practice that in your life. And which I think she's done and I've done and it's, it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. Oh, I, I totally agree. And I think um, we're drawn to it, right. When we're separated out and we can see the difference of us from others, then I think that's when heavenly father does his work with us because sometimes we do feel a little isolated and how my family is not like that family. Right. Um, And my, I feel the same way, Jamie, like my mom took, you know, at eight years old, my life looked very different than her life at eight years old. So they they improve on the generation, right? I mean, and my mom had a lot of great support when she was a young mom. She had a sorority group. She wasn't active in the church. Church had only been kind of here and there in her life growing up, mostly there, not here. Uh, she had been baptized, but not a whole lot of follow-up after that. And and the fact that she chose as a young mom to take three children by the hand and to walk into a church that she hadn't set foot in for a lot of years because she wanted something better for her children than she had. I mean, that's what your mom was doing, right? Is she didn't, her childhood did not look the same as your childhood. And so anyway, and I think, um, yeah, if, if we aren't talking about it and looking for it and connecting to those signs that are saying, I want something different, um, we can miss it. So you have to be proactive and you have to be having these talks and chats. And I think that's why podcasts are so powerful right now, even though, I mean, we feel so connected, but it's also, it's, it's bringing us closer to maybe where we want to be. That's what I said. I'm listening to birth podcasts and Christ podcasts. That's what I'm trying to be closer to. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love it. Oh, Christy, you are a wealth of knowledge. I have learned so much from you over so many of these years, and it's 
it's, oh, it makes me weepy. It just really does. And I hope that everybody finds somebody that they can, they can get support from. And, and you've done that. And, um, all right, now let's, maybe let's talk about teenage years, because there are some things that you, as like my mom and I's relationship as a teenager was very different than what I observed you and your teenage girls. So maybe talk about that, because I know that you've taught me so many things, but try and, I don't know, sum it okay. up. <laughs> okay, I'll try to sum it up. Um, I think it comes from Jamie being told as a teen by my mom that I couldn't do anything to change her love for her. So both that is the basis um, because I was a teenager and I had done some stupid things. I'd made some mistakes and I knew they were wrong, but this is part of the, you know, figuring out life as a teenager. And um, I knew I could disappoint her, but I knew it wouldn't change her love for me. And so with my kids and I think my girls especially is what I was focused more on. And I think my husband focused more on my sons, our sons, you know, as teenagers, but with my daughter specifically, and even with some of their friends, like, again, like your body and your feelings are nothing to be ashamed of. And I do not judge you because I've been there too. And I've had feelings that I have to work through and I just don't ever want my daughters or their friends or my sons. And I have had some of these chats with my sons that are a little deeper. Like, I just don't ever want you to be ashamed of your thoughts or your feelings or your, I, I don't, um, because they're there for a reason and heavenly father gives us those, but let's go, let's go through them and make sure we're kind of on the right path with them. You know, like I remember, um, a lot of what I was taught in, in church, I think, and just culturally in my religion was, you know, sex is, isn't, you know, you have to wait. And and I won't say that I was taught sex was bad because I don't remember ever being taught that. And the, what was ingrained in my head and what I taught to my children is that there's a time and a place for it. But that doesn't mean it's bad. That doesn't mean those feelings are bad. It doesn't mean exploring differences around those feelings are bad because you're going to have them. And so to sweep them under the rug is, is to invalidate them or to say what you're feeling is wrong. And it's not because I'm positive Heavenly Father gave us those feelings for a reason. And so, I mean, that's what I taught my daughter. So if you're attracted to a boy and you're having these feelings, we're going to talk about it. And we did, we talked about it in depth. And I, I did everything from things I felt like I maybe missed out on a little, and now I'm educated, like even just the process of as like puberty, you know, washing, because I was like, ah, you know, um, like, I wanted my kids to know it's okay to touch those areas because they need to be clean. And I mean, this sounds really funny, but I was never taught that. I was just never taught that like, you know, I mean, I get like there's, there's discharge and there's things going on down there as a woman, as you, your body changes and you need to make sure it's clean and that's, that's it. And you can talk to me. And if there's something you're wondering about, you should talk to me. Cause I remember wondering about things, physical changes in my body and physical changes that were appearing. And I'm like, Hmm, I was definitely embarrassed. I didn't know at that young age that I could talk to my mom, you know, when things were happening at like 11 and 12, as I got older, I understood I could, but, um, so I think being really real and just talking to him about that. And I have to be that in my, with my clients, like, and, and one of the things I do with my clients is I do a foot massage. That was a gift. Someone gave me as a young mother, one of my friends and, I just thought it was like this beautiful Christ-like act of service to take some a woman who's pregnant and feed her so tired and swollen and 
you know, painful to to take them and wash them in water and then to rub them. And anyway, it's beautiful. So that's something that I do as part of feeling comfortable with each other too. Like you're going to need to be comfortable with my touch. And if there's something I'm doing while I'm rubbing your feet that isn't comfortable, you need to be able to tell me. So let's practice, you know, just tell me, is this comfortable? And oh, that I don't like it there. No, don't get between my toes or, oh yeah, right there. That feels so good. Like the reason I practice that with them before we get in the labor birth and labor situation is because they, that communication needs to be open. And I think flexing that muscle with your teenagers, the conversation needs to be open. So you got to go there and you got to, you know, and feel like you can talk to me. And anyway, so, so yeah, there were a lot of times even, um, yeah, teaching how to put a tampon in or being right outside the door. And then them just saying, just come in, just come in and help me because this is, I can't, and it is, our bodies are, are kind of a mystery, especially as teenagers and our thoughts and our feelings are, but how we remove that mystery is just like walking in to take the test. The more information, the better, and they don't always want to talk. So I tried to do some things with my girls specifically. My older daughter, we had two little kids at home that always wanted my attention. And so when she was into this stage where she needed her mom more, the little kids, you know, seemed to always interrupt. And so I told her, well, if you need to talk to me privately down in your room and you don't want to say that because you don't want to announce it to the house, you can say, mom, can you help me pick out an outfit? Because there was always a key word. Yeah, that was it. That was our key word. And so I would go down and sit on the bed. And sometimes I would go down for those talks when she didn't ask for them. I could just sense that we needed it. I either felt tension between us because there's that because she's coming into becoming a woman and I'm a woman and not that there was competition, but there's definitely an overlap of kind of energy for women, I think. And so we, I would, I just, I, sometimes I just go sit in her room or make her come up and sit on my bed until she was ready to talk about whatever it was or that I could bring up in a way that, um, you know, whatever it was, I felt like we needed to talk about. And usually it was, you know, something she had done that she hadn't talked to me about, but I had a sense that it had happened. And I wanted her to feel like she could talk to me about it. And the only way to do that is to talk. <laughs> I, I don't know. Anyway, Jamie. I, so we, so I, we call it QT time and it's, there's other people that call it mind, body, soul time. And there's all, all this kind of stuff. And I, I watched you do this. I mean, I, I'm definitely a part, which I didn't do with my mom. She, she was, it was a different, it was different. And I was an only girl. We, we just didn't have that connection, which is part of why I created Joyrific is because her and I went through hard teenage years. We healed as I got into my twenties and I had Garth and I was getting regular sleep and I was getting attention that I needed. And I, a lot that caution sign that's on the joyrific chart. And I I did a lot of healing through my early twenties. And, um, so now that connection, so we, uh, me and my kids call it QT time and we set a timer and, and so our go, I need to talk to you about an outfit. They're able to say, I need QT time with you. And it's this private, just us. Nobody can interrupt. We lock the doors if we need to, because we have a lot of toddlers running around that always need your attention. And um, we we set the timer, and oftentimes it goes beyond the timer once they're 15. I, I mean, once they're over 10 even. it just And the timer is there partly because there's not endless time. And and I I need to have time, too, to myself. And dinner has to be made, and all the things have to be done. But we're a, by consistently 
timing and having it there. And we try and do it every day. And it, we label it as QT time so that they know that this is their, this is when we can have those deep conversations and building that relationship from when they were really little is, is a, it, it, it pays off by investing when they're little and you do QT time with them for five minutes because they're five years old and we set the timer and they recognize and understand I don't have my phone. I'm not scrolling through Facebook. I am a hundred percent focused on them and we're playing go fish or whatever it is. Undivided attention. Yes. Being space for just them in a chaotic world, in a chaotic whatever, right? Yeah. yeah. And you can feel we have a household of nine and you can feel lonely being surrounded by people and, and having a deep connection is important. And, and it's something that takes time to build. And that, that's beautiful. I, I love that you guys went and picked out outfits or whatever it was. Yeah, that was it. That was the key word. Yeah. Yeah. And, and even I can tell you, I mean, I'm a pretty, um, I'm a pretty strong personality. And so as am I, (laughs) so my girls have had to tell me as they get older and as I have something to share with them and I'm really getting into it or something like, um, like it's okay in, and they're okay to tell me. And sometimes I need to be told like that, that's maybe too much information for me or let's tap the brakes on that. You know what I mean? Because Uh I, I'm just willing and ready to be as open as we need to be. And maybe a little bit from your situation, like, you know what I mean? Like, I think our parents' generation just wasn't as open, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so um, I think it's just great to respect all sides of it too. You know what I mean? Like, I don't want to, I don't want to flood them with my private time with them, but I, but I'd rather do that than not have enough, I think is where I, I would rather err on that side. And the other thing too, Jamie, I just learned about is this great. I need to send you the talk, but um, um, it's like it's called "Never Let a Faith Crisis Go to Waste" by Jared Halverson. Never let a good faith crisis go to waste. So, not that we're talking about faith crises, but we are talking about kind of crises, maybe. And so, um, what he taught in that is this really simple principle that is taught in the Bible, and it's the fall, or excuse me, it's creation. It's like what every day might look like, right? It's it's there's a pattern for it in the Bible. Creation as like things are beautiful, things are blossoming, right? There's animals, things are there's creation. <clears throat> and then there the next part in that cycle is the fall. Because after every beautiful creation, things come come down. They 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 naturally do. That's nature. That's what happens. And then there's atonement. And you can use that pattern for like relationships. You can use them relationships with your husband, with your children with the day, with every day, because every day when you wake up, it's like, oh, creation. And maybe by five in the afternoon, it's the fall. (laughs) You're going to bed and saying your prayers and it's atonement and you're humbled and you're, um, you're asking and you're needing and you're begging and you're pleading and, you know, right. And so, um, like I, I had an experience in, in counseling. My husband and I did counseling a few years ago because it was when our kids had left and these lanes that were really clearly defined for us raising children were getting, they just weren't as defined and it was hard. It was hard on our relationship to kind of figure out what our roles were. And so um, I wished at the time, looking back, I wish at the time that the counselor would have just said, 
Oh, just wait. You're just in the fall of your relationship. Like atonement's coming and look for atonement moments because it creates again, I promise. And you don't realize it, but you've done this pattern a bunch of times. And I, and he validated what we were going through and he helped us in a lot of ways. But something I wish would have been said was that like, oh, just wait, like just give it. It's okay. And so I think that applies with our teenagers really a lot because sometimes you're in the fall and they're not ready and you can't pull somebody from one phase into the next. You can go there and you can choose to go there and you can understand that there's all of those three places, but you can't bring somebody else there. But you might not get along really well with people in creation phase if you're in fall. You mm. might They might really annoy you because they're just so chipper and excited and moving and growing and loving and learning and you're in the depressed part you're in the i don't like this i don't like me i don't like you right like but for them to understand you're not going to be here this i and to hold the space for them like here's what's coming up next here's what's coming up next for your marriage here's what's coming up next for your teenage crisis you know what i mean yeah i i think right along with that because i am a strong personality that likes to talk and likes to answer and solve the problem I have learned to count. I, I mean, I just have to actively do something or else my brain will just wander and I won't listen anymore if they're in that fall. Because that fall state is a really hard state for me to witness witness, and be a part of because I can solve it and I can see the atonement. Like it, it's coming and and I have learned and which probably Garth has taught me because he is so patient. And but I I count and and some I count to 90. And I've never gotten to 90. But I that's my goal of I'm gonna sit and keep eye contact and keep listening to this conversation that's awkward and hard and I know is not gonna be their eternal state. And I'll right. count to 90 in my head. And by that time, it allows that them to process and it allows me to listen. And it's an active choice that I've made to, and usually I get to like 17 or something like it, it, I don't make it to 90, but it, it, I have, I have learned that I have to do that in order to let them process and which maybe Garth counts sometimes and I tell him stories. (laughs) I don't know, (laughs) but it, it, I, I really have made a lot of progress with my kids and maybe it's because I wanted my mom to listen and she never would because she she's quick to interrupt or quick to solve or quick to get you on the right place, which is beautiful. And you need that when you need that. But like you said, in that false state, you don't really need that. You need someone to listen. And so that's that's a skill that I have learned and developed is counting, actively listening and and helping them to process Oh, is OK. And yeah. It's hard. It is yeah, hard. It is hard. And yeah, good. I love that. Um, because we all need to listen more, right? And you're right. It means without our phone. It means without distractions. It means like you really are available, but only when you're ready and when you need to. Like I'm here. I'm not going anywhere. I, you know. Yeah. And if if you have some thoughts or some things you think might help move you forward, bounce them off me. Let me know. You know, but yeah, sometimes you just have to be patient. <laughs> and listen. So I, I don't know that how tangible that was, but that's, um, yeah, that's helping me. It's helping me now. I mean, it's helping me with 
literally like every relationship because um, you're just not stuck. And to know that you're not stuck there and to know even in childbirth, you're not stuck in that worst part where you say, I can't do this anymore. I'm done. I mean, when you're natural, when you're choosing unmedicated birth and you say that, like I discuss with women, how you, we need to put in your birth plan, how much you want me to talk you out of that, because you're going to say it. And to be honest, that's when mom is born. If you've had no children, the mother is born when you move just past that place, just past that place where you say, I can't do this anymore. It's too much. I'm done. I'm throwing in the towel. Bring that epidural in. I don't care if I'm a nine and a half. Um, you know, like that's when the mom is born because then she comes into this power where she's like, oh no, I got this. I got this. I mean, let's do it. I'm ready. And it, it's a lot of chemical processes in your body that are happening. And I just, I love seeing that moment when the mother overcomes that, when the child and the teenager overcomes, like never, I got this, you know? And, and I just think you're born into this new power and you're leveling up right then. And it happens with each child and it happens with each, with each downfall you overcome. Right. It's, it's just so it's, it's really tangible for me to see with moms when they're giving birth because midwives will tell you every mother says that. I mean, that is, that's how I know we're close is when moms say, I'm done, take me to the hospital, right? If you're doing a home birth or whatever, mm-hmm. get, get out the drugs, you know, that's how I know we're close. And, and so I let women know that that's all part of that plan. And I think it's so much easier for them to then move through it when they know it beforehand. And even talking to your teenager, when they know, I, I felt that like I have been there and I can tell you, you, you move past it. And, and even in relationships with our children, um, like you talked about with your mom, um, um, and how you healed in your early twenties. Yeah. Once our kids get married, they need us again as teenagers. They don't need us as much as we want them to need us. But I had great advice that someone told me, Oh, wait till she's married and has children. She'll need you. I mean, and, and I never felt like unneeded by McKenna, but there was a time when she was first married and when she was dating serious, like I knew I needed to be hands off. This isn't my choice. It's hers. And she has to walk through it and I'm here supporting her, but I got to back off. And and I tried to listen to those promptings when to back off. Right. And um, constrain my motherly instincts, <laughs> you know? So I tried to listen and like, I didn't call her once on her honeymoon, Jamie. That's pretty. Good. That's a lot. <laughs> Oh my goodness. I love it. That's amazing. Because we are hands-on. I mean, me and my mom's relationship, we are very hands-on. And even when she went to Australia, we Marco Poloed and because it was nighttime there and daytime here. And I and and she is that support that I need, but there are times where I don't need it. And you find other you build those other relationships and it's beautiful. It is. It's beautiful and hard. And fascinating and lovely all at the same time. Yeah. Okay, last question, and then we'll wrap up. But I want you to reflect back and and think of, like, this is what I wish I could tell every new mother. Like, whether it's a lesson that you've learned from your own experience or ones that you've seen, but like, a, this is what you need to hear. Mm, there's so much. There's so much. Okay. Um, um, I think if I have to encapsulate that, it is, it is, um, it's the difference in, uh, uh, physiological birth and, a 
medical birth, I guess. Okay. So you can certainly go along and take and just be the participant in whatever's happening. But physiological birth is a commitment, like physically, mentally, spiritually, and mentally and emotionally kind of go together. So, so for every new mom, whether they've had a medical birth, you know what I mean, or not, I think what's important and how we connect to ourselves and connect to a higher power and then are able to give and serve others is, is those three things. It's like, it's having information and choosing um, purposefully, you know, with purpose to, to take time for those things and to realize that you need them and if, and to nurture them. Um, I mean, that's spiritually, I need, I need nurturing and I need nurturing emotionally and I need nurturing physically. And so whatever that looks like, if I'm moving through labor, if I'm moving through, I mean, if I'm not, if I'm not getting those things, I'm not feeling good. I can't move forward. I feel stuck. I feel depressed. I feel low energy. But when I have those things, like I feel so energized and I can, I can help others and I can keep going and I don't need to even eat. I can just keep like, let's go. You know what I mean? And so, I mean, I, that I, I don't know. That's what physiological birth has taught me. And physiological birth is trusting yourself and getting to the point spiritually, emotionally, and physically that you're comfortable with your body. You're comfortable with your soul. You're comfortable with your mind and you can calm those things and you can utilize those things as like tools. Um, and I, I don't know. I, that might be kind of out there. It's theories not out there. Not, okay, I, I, I would even say, so with the joyrific chart, it's a, we have the version that's a magnet chart and, and you put your magnet where you are and a huge part that Gracie and I have talked about a lot is, I mean, I've talked about it with everybody, but only you can move your magnet. And so wherever you are is okay. And, and, and helping to understand to how to fill your bucket with that emotional, spiritual, physical, mental space and being okay with, you know, I'm in a bad mood right now and this is hard and this hurts and I'm going to be there and I'm moving my magnet to that section and that's okay. And then once you're done in that area, moving it to wherever, wherever it is that you are, are I, I'm being helpful now. I'm being kind. I'm being patient. I've, I've worked through it and it's not forever. And I can, I have ownership of who I am and how I'm going to do things. And it's hard. And we know that. And if it's not hard, be prepared because something hard's coming. And because if it, if it's not hard, you're not, you're not learning. You learn in those hard moments. And fears and unknowns are part of all of it. But really in the in the fall, that's when they really come out because you've just had this big creation period, right? And now you're in the fall and you have these fears and unknowns. And McKenna pointed out to me after um, a home birth that I attended, he, she said, what I think you do, mom, as a doula, and kind of you just do naturally is you put people's fears to rest. You're like, it's okay. It's okay if I get up there a day early. I mean, the mother was worried that I was going to arrive in her her labor would stop. And I was three hours away. And I was like, mm, well, I don't care if that happens. Because honestly, if that happens, and you're in the type of birth you're having, you're not on any time clock for me. I'm not, you have an extra bedroom, I'm going to stay in the bedroom, like, let's work through the logistics of it. What's the worst case scenario is your baby or your body need 
a break. So if I get there and your labor pauses, I'm okay with that. And I've seen enough birth and natural birth and physiologic birth, the birth that trusts the body, right? To know that if that's what happens, then that's what you needed. And I'm great with that. Like, I'm not in any hurry. You're not on my time clock. And even with our teenagers, like those fears and those unknowns, just having somebody, maybe you're, maybe they don't want to hear all of your advice, but if they just hear, I'm waiting for you. And whenever you're ready, I'm right here. Like we're going to pick up. You needed a pause. You needed a break, you know, uh, or as a young mom or, <laughs> you know, I'm right here. You, you need, I don't, you just, you need to feel supported and know there's somewhere that you can turn. And sometimes it's an internal prayer and sometimes it's a sister or a mom or a cousin or a. Yeah. I love that. I, I, um, I helped my mom through cancer and that was really hard. And especially when someone in your life that's always been so strong is not. And, and that, that's a hard thing to learn from. And, and so often like that relationship dynamic can change. And there's times where kids are supporting their parents or there's times where parents are supporting their kids or you're supporting your friend or cousin or neighbor or whatever it is and and being okay with that uncomfortable awkwardness that I I want to solve this but it's going to take time and it's going to take patience is part of the process and it's beautiful if you can understand and be patient with that for sure yeah yeah Christy we have to do this more i love this so much and totally I think I, I don't know how to end these ever. I just want to talk for days and it's beautiful. Well, well, thank you. I'm so glad that you asked me and I've had uh, the the girl that's helping me today with this recording. Um, She's starting a podcast too. So she had said she wants to talk. I think there's a, I think there's, this is just part of that community, right? I mean, it doesn't go away. It doesn't matter that we haven't talked for six months or nine months or a year or whatever, but it doesn't go away and we need that community and we need to support each other and um, to hold space and to be okay with other people's cancers, fears, unknowns, you know, I'm like, it's, it's okay. And I, and I think you're right. It is. Anyway, I'm, I'm excited to share what, what this has brought me because the shift that I am seeing in women specifically is towards, um, feeling empowered and feeling confident in what they're doing, whatever that looks like. And and for one of my moms, it was just to get to a five or a six before she got the epidural because she got it at a one and a half last time. Right. So yeah, let's, we can do that. Let's make a plan how we're going to do that. You know, I mean, um, so it's supporting each other wherever they are. I love that you said that even about your kids, like, it's okay. It's okay to feel yucky. It's okay. Like put your magnet there. If that's what you're feeling, go there. And that's really just what I'm doing with moms too. It's like, I get you're afraid and it's unknown, but I'm right here and I'm not going to go anywhere still. I mean, yeah, it just, it translates so beautifully. So this, this shift in consciousness, I think um, that I'm seeing with young moms, it's like my daughter's age and their friend's age, you know, Um, and they need this generation of people and women that understand that they, what they need and they're willing to support them through it because a lot of the past generations have been more hands-off and i think to get them where they need to be we we might need to you know notch it up and maybe it isn't so much about sitting in that chair at the office that i was doing for eight hours a day and feeling like i was making a difference and helping and and but that there's 
there's uh, there's other things and there's deeper things and there's deeper things that'll make my heart leap when I think about them and that's where I need to be and that's where I need to focus on and we can all find that we, we absolutely can yeah and and sometimes there's quality time and sometimes it's quantity right and and when you are in a phase where you do need to be in the job working eight hours a day then you have that qu- quality time when you can have it and and that's something that my mom has taught me because she was very 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 busy and and part of that addictive personality to do the things to the fullest right. and and but when she was there the quality time was there and it may not have been a lot of quantity of it but that that quality and getting that depth quicker and faster and that that bond and that connection is is part of everything we're going through i just had a flashback of us in walmart buying your first bra <laughs> i love it oh look cue the end music because i have a come come Adelaide, come and see. Hi, Adelaide. <laughs> oh, do you want to say hi? <laughs> oh, I love it. I am recording right now with Christy, and it is my favorite thing. So we could, we really could do this for days, and we'll have you on again. I love that you came and are part of this. And thanks for kicking off your joyrific podcast with me i love it i love that you're able you have the brain and the talent to break it all down and to you know to to improve and to keep moving forward and i've always loved that i love your i love your concepts i love that you've created them with your mother and just proves that generational connection right that knowledge that which comes from everybody i love it i oh thank you so much christy we will be in touch again and we'll have you on again and i've i've loved this time together you know like the last 40 years oh the laptop almost just came off the counter oh good girl bye adelaide all right i'm gonna end the call thanks christy love you love you too see ya thank you bye-bye